even when there's moments where you kind of get some pushback or even if, you know, you get some feedback you don't really like or something just doesn't work. I know that I am waking up every day and I want to help the employee. That's my main thing. Hello, friends, and welcome to The Block, the building, learning, and organizational culture podcast. I'm your host, Heidi Kirby. On today's episode, we have Veronica Reed, also known as the Learning Queen, who is a learning experience designer. We talk about the importance of having an instructional design or learning and development style, as well as a philosophy, which is a little bit deeper. I hope you enjoy this episode after a brief word from our sponsor, Verisana. Your business needs a better way to train. The better that your team needs is training that leads to performance. Verisana is interactive and repeatable, so your employees can return to lessons as many times as they need to. And we optimize the training so they and you can review their progress. The power of mobile makes it possible. Our team has decades of experience and expertise. We do it because we've been where you are. Verisana, the better way to learn. Veronica, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. So let's start with you telling me a little bit about yourself and your background, how you made it into instructional design, and any fun facts you want to share. Sure. So hello, everyone. My name is Veronica Reed, and I started off working in human resources. So my background was a generalist. So it was all of the fun, crazy things at work, you know, and a lot of the things you never thought you would deal with with adults. But um, as I was kind of in human resources, I really gravitated towards like the training and development and kind of talent development side of it. And so I discovered through volunteering um, with my local ATD chapter in Dallas that there was a world called instructional design and kind of learning and development. And so I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I really like this. Um, And I had an unfortunate job transition. It was unexpected. And so I was like, okay, this is the time. I believe, you know, things do happen for a reason. I was like, you know what, this is the time to kind of just buckle down and really get serious about making the transition. So that's when I kind of really looked into creating a portfolio, really started connecting with people on LinkedIn and really um, decided to kind of learn the tools that you need and really just learn the science behind instructional design and how I can use my skills that I've already had um, as an HR generalist and kind of translate that over. So that's kind of been the journey and finally was able to land a role um, as a learning experience designer. So very excited about that. But it's also really good to be able to to use the skills that I've already developed, um, you know, kind of the console, especially the consultation piece, you know, dealing with a lot of employees and managers. So I'm already kind of used to that. So being able to translate that over is exciting. So um, I don't really have any fun facts about me. Um, I guess the main fact is now during quarantine, I have really gotten serious about cycling again. I am not like a hardcore road cyclist, you know, like people are okay. out doing 20, 30 miles. But, you know, one of my goals was to get back on a bicycle and be able to ride at least 10 miles in a row. And I finally reached that goal. So I was excited. Nice. I just bought a bicycle this summer too, for the first time in 
gosh, years. I can't ride 10 miles on it, but <laughs> it I took- started slow. <laughs> yeah. Of course. I started slow, yeah. And I don't know about you, but it took me like three months to actually get the bicycle because they were like going like crazy during quarantine. So I was kind of on the leading edge. So when okay. we first went home in like March, I was like, let me go ahead and get the bike. So they still nice. had a few options. But I think like the next couple weeks after that, everything is gone. So now you can't find not a good one anyway. Yeah, it's crazy the things that you did wouldn't expect would have been flying off the shelves during quarantine, like home improvement projects, outdoor stuff. Yeah, cool. All right. So for the Central Ohio ATD Emerging Professional Showcase, say that three times fast, um, you presented on the importance of finding your instructional design or talent development or learning and development style slash philosophy. And could you just tell me a little bit about why you decided to choose that as a topic? Because I think that's important to our field right now to have that conversation. I think one thing for me is when I did start following like people on LinkedIn or just kind of the thought leaders or just different people in learning development, everything was, you know, pretty positive. But then I noticed that, you know, a lot of people just weren't as happy or excited about their jobs as as they used to be. Um, And there's just a lot of pushback. I think a lot of people, you know, dealing with corporations, you know, and dealing with corporate American general, there's going to be a lot of restrictions. And, you know, instructional design is, is a field where, you you know, you really get a chance to explore that creativity and that creative side. Unfortunately, sometimes depending on the organization you work for, you may not be able to explore that as much as you would like. And so I think it just, a lot of people were starting to get really demotivated about that. And they just were upset and kind of voicing their frustrations. And so I was kind of thinking, you know, as a person transitioning into this field, you know, I didn't want to fall into that same kind of trap. Like, I didn't want to be disenchanted with the job. I didn't want to lose kind of my motivation behind doing what I do. And so that's why I kind of developed like, okay, being able to have your own style, even if you can't do every single thing you want to do, if I'm able to incorporate one or two things that, you know, are my personal touch, even if it's just as small as adding like this particular navigation button. Like I know it's me, you know, it's no, I know it's something that I thought through and I feel like this would be better for the learner. I think that really motivates you to kind of keep going. So, you know, and that's if you are incorporated or even if you're a freelancer, you know, cause that's the same thing. Right. You have a lot of clients where you get that pushback and you may not be able to to do everything you want. But, you know, what can you do to motivate yourself to kind of push forward? And I think just having your own style and knowing that, you know, this is something that I put together. This is something that, you know, I thought through that's going to help the employer, the client or whoever your target audience. I just think that gives you that motivating factor. Absolutely. So other than motivation and being able to kind of take pride in your own work. Why else would you say it's important to have a style or a philosophy to instructional design? I think it's important because it really forces you to explore deeply into instructional design because as you develop your style, there's a lot of different schools of thought out. 
So, you know, you have to determine what works best, you know, for your creative process, because I believe that we all have our own kind of creative process. And I'm sure there's like neurological or scientific term for it. But, you know, each of us are different. We approach things differently. You know, we approach, you know, our creative process is a lot different. So, you know, you really have to delve into all the different, you know, learning theories and just different design theories now that are coming out and determine like, okay, you know, how can I really put my stamp on it and not in a ego way, but, Mm -hmm. you know, how can I really bring my creativity to life and still, you know, conform to the organization and still help, you know, my target audience at the same time. Absolutely. And I always say that I'm not a pizza maker, right? And I think that that's part of, you know, that creativity is I'm not here to make a course, put it out the door. Like I'm going to put my own spin on it. I'm going to also make sure that it's meeting the needs and, you know, doing all the proper process steps involved. But I like what you said about looking at the different schools of thought, because I think sometimes, and I met people who do this where someone falls into our field and they swear up and down that they know everything there is to know about learning and development, instructional design, I've been doing this for 10 years, but then when you start to have conversations with them, they name like one person that they study, right? Like they have like that one big name, who's a big name, right? Like, but they just like have read all of that one person's things. And so they have like a very narrow view of how things should be done and what approaches should be taken. And I think it's really important to continue to learn what the different approaches are that are coming out that have been already established. And I think it's important to have kind of that multifaceted approach and then be able, like you said, to add your own spin on it. Yeah. Part of your presentation was three steps for kind of developing or deciding your style. And so I want to share those, but I also want to have you as the guest answer those different questions, right? Okay. So step one was determine what attracted you to the field. So what attracted you to the field, Veronica? Because I worked in human resources, a lot of, um, as a generalist, a lot of what we were focused on was employee engagement. How do we keep people working here? Kind of that full life cycle of we hired you, now we're trying to retain. And so, you know, the employee experience, which is kind of a buzzword that's been probably the last five years is kind of what you hear in the HR side. So for me, um, talent development, you know, you kind of have that learner experience and you can kind of bridge that with the employee experience because a lot of during that employee life cycle, especially the retention piece, when we're really teaching them about the organization, talent development and L&D is a really big part of that because we are, you know, doing the training. We are, you know, helping out that professional development or whatever motivates an individual person. A lot of it, you know, we're going to touch that in some kind of way. So that's why I was attracted to talent development, because you can really focus on kind of the fun stuff, like really understanding what is it that the employee needs? You know, how can I create something that will help them out? You know, because we spend so much time at work, like we're at work 40 plus hours a week. So, you know, you want to make sure people want to come to work. And so being able to create that, a pro, even whether it's a program or training, if it's in-person or e-learning, you know, being able to do that. So that's what attracted me to talent development. It's just that bridging that employee experience and learner experience together. 
That's great. So step number two is determine why you stay in this field. So you've been in this field for how long now? It's been a, a, about a year, a little over a year. Okay. So why are you still here? So I'm still here just because, you know, I'm able to create that good employee experience. And even when there's moments where you kind of get some pushback or even if, you know, you get some feedback you don't really like or something just doesn't work. I know that I am waking up every day and I want to help the employee. That's my main thing. And this is for corporate because I work in corporate. Obviously, if you're a freelancer, it'd be a little bit different. But that's my main motivation is, okay, you're creating this material. You want employees to have the best experience at work. And how can you do that? So that's my why of getting up every day is keep creating, keep doing it. Something will break through. You know, employees are going to be grateful for something that you create. It could help someone, you know, get over the hump or learn a new skill that gets them promoted, you know. Sure. So that's kind of my thought process is just, you know, helping people out. Yeah. All right. And step three is determine the adult learning theory that resonates most with you. Okay. So the one that resonated the most with me um, was the self-determination theory. And that's mostly because it really focuses on giving you the choice. And I know personally, as an adult, you know, I like to have a choice and I like to know why I need to do something. And, you know, that's just human nature. Like, don't throw something at me and be like, here, do it. Like, no, you know, why am I doing that? So that resonates the most with me is being able to create a learner experience that people understand why they are doing it and that they still have a choice in how they want to consume the information. So, um, yeah, so that's why they resonate the most with me is just because I feel like adults need a choice and we want to know why. Why do I have to take this boring compliance training every year, every July (laughs) when my behavior has been impeccable? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely makes sense. You also had a bonus step, which was craft your personal talent development philosophy. And that in that you reference Nyla Spooner's I'm New Here, episode eight, where she talks about the exact same thing. And I just went back and listened to that today. And her philosophy, her elevator pitch, as she calls it, is Mm -hmm. like, I I don't think I have one that's as polished and practiced as hers. Um, Do you have a personal talent development philosophy? I don't have a good one yet. Like I'm still going back and forth. So because the elevator speech and pitch has always been difficult for me personally, because I don't know, it's hard for me to just hype myself up, you know, and Nyla talked about that in her podcast where, you know, you kind of have to get over that block of it's okay to talk about yourself. It's okay to, you know, take pride in your work. You know, there's obviously a line where if you cross it, you could be a little arrogant or, you know. Sure insufferable but at the same time it is okay to really recognize your achievements and go for it so I'm still working on this I've actually been like writing it out but I'm still kind of pushing forward through you know it's okay you know getting past like the imposter syndrome and the whole you know I don't want to talk about myself I don't want to seem like I'm being arrogant or cocky so 
Which is a great answer because I mean, how many other people are in that boat, right? Like you're, you're not alone in that. And as many times as I've, (laughs) as many job interviews as I had, because I'm a chronic job hopper, you know, when I go through that elevator pitch, every time it's like, I practice it. And then I look at the clock and I'm like, wait, okay, it's been five minutes and I'm like talking out loud about something that has nothing to do with what I started with. So like, that's my problem is that like, when I try to like, when I try to make it so short, right. When you try to sum it up in just a few words, it can be really hard to just get the important parts. Right. Yeah, definitely. But that said, if you had to describe your instructional design style in three words, what would they be? I would say succinct. And I say that because I don't like long-winded things to explain something. And I mean, I can get on a tangent and talk all day, every day, but when I am consuming information and that's, and I think that's just the world we live in. Sure. We're so used to like Twitter is like 160 characters, you know, like if you get on Facebook, like if I see a long, people have to put like long post alert just to let people know like, Hey, you're going to read. You know? <laughs> yes. If not, you're like, uh, uh-uh, uh, you know, So you have to warn people if you're about to put a lot of information, even in LinkedIn, you know, you still want to keep it, you know, no more than three or four sentences if possible, because that's just how we consume information. So, you know, taking that into consideration, that's how learners are going to consume information. So definitely making it succinct where people can pick up on what I'm talking about quickly, you know, because we are bit people are busy, don't have time for that. I would also say innovative. Just always finding ways to make it fun and just meet the needs of your organization because everybody's different. So I think you always have to take that into consideration, especially depending on the industry you work in. I mean, if it's like healthcare or financial services, it's very compliance heavy. Yeah. So there's only going to be so much you can do (laughs) with that. But I mean, you still want to make it innovative and, you know, make it where you can change it or whatever. And then I would also say agile. That's um, one area I've really been interested in being able to make those pivots quickly and being able to do those sprints. So I'm all about that. And I try to build that in to any kind of training that that I do like, Hey, you know, here's the iteration, look at it. Let me know what you like before I spend time, you know, continuing on, like just making sure we have like those short check-ins to make sure everybody's all on the same page and doing those sprints. So, yeah. I love it. I love it. And I like how you talk about kind of meeting the learner where they are, because that's something that is really important to me with my background as an English professor and then moving into instructional design. But I think what you say about being succinct is really important because you know, you see all these things about the internet is killing our memory and our brain. And, and I don't think that I think it's just shifting the way we retain information. I don't need to know the laws of gravity, because I can look them up if I should need them. I don't use them every day. But now I have room in my short term memory for stuff that I need to use every day. And so I think that that's a really important one. I really like that. That's a good yeah. answer. Thanks. What impact do you think that 
developing or creating a style or a philosophy can have on your organization outside of just, you know, we talked about personally how it can help you. What impact do you think it could have on your organization if you're really firm and confident in your style or philosophy? I think the impact it could have is it can help change how your organization maybe thinks of your department. So I know a lot of people now that's the struggle that they have, you know, at their organization kind of treating L&D like the note takers or they don't really have a true understanding of, you know, what they do and the value they bring. So I think standing firm by your style and not pushing it down their throats because, I mean, you can start small and just showing like, hey, when I add in this element where, you know, if we add a scenario in every compliance training, you know, people resonate with it more. So, you know, it kind of pushes them to understand, like, here's some measurements um, that you can utilize. So it really helps in the evaluation process, I believe. And then you can really start implementing more and more things into your training and really kind of change their mindset. But it's a small process. And I think, you know, with anybody who works in corporate, we know that change is slow. <laughs> it's a yes. slow and steady process. Yeah. Um, and, you know, numbers talk. So being able to show you know, like, hey, by me adding this style, you know, somebody is retaining it, whether it's five or 10 more people are retaining it, you know, that builds up over time. So yeah, absolutely. It can build the worth, the reputation of your department. And I think it's also good for those who are in kind of the job seeking phase too, because if you already have that style and philosophy and you're grounded in it, you're going to be able to better tell from a job interview, like what's a fit and what isn't and find the organization that better works for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that's important because even, you know, as I was going through like the job interview process, you know, knowing kind of my main thing is like I said, I want to connect employee experience to learner experience, you know, and I do have some of the consultation background from being an HR journalist. So I was able to use that kind of skill set. And as you know, I'm explaining my journey and why I got into the field, you know, I can bring those elements of, you know, being a journalist, having a consultation, you know, it's just a different version of consultation now. And I know what questions I want to ask. Like, I know what's important to me. Like, do you have the creative freedom? What does that process look like? So now I'm able to ask those questions. And I think you're more willing, if it's not a good fit to say no, or really understand the consequences of taking the position or not, which I think is also very important. So for anybody going into the field or looking for a job, I think it's very important to know that about yourself and stand firm because, you know, it does make it easier. Like, you know what, this isn't a good fit. And even though I need this job or this money would be great, I don't know if it's right for me. You know, I can hold out. I can wait. You know, let's see what else is out there. It makes me think of like, almost like dating, right? Where like you have like your personal set of morals and values. And if you go on a date with somebody and they're way off and their morals and values are totally different, like you're probably not going to go on a second date with them. So why would you go on a job interview and totally compromise your style and your philosophy about your career? And work for a company for what five, ten years? It would and then it cycles your growth too. Like if you do that, a lot of times you're not able to really grow, you know, professionally or personally in those situations. And I've been there, you know. So I'm like now I'm like no, you know, I'm really trying to be intentional about knowing who I am, knowing how I want to design, and making sure that that matches with 
the organization that I'm working for. Same here. Yeah. The money can only get you so far, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I always tell people, I was like, you know, having more money is great, but then you start spending more. So like the salary bump that you get after like two or three months, it doesn't even feel like you have more money. Yeah. You know, like, cause you're spending it already. So I was like, and then what, you know? Right. Cause right. that money is spent in your mind. So it's like, it doesn't even feel like a salary increase. It just, you know, another check now. So then, you know, what else do you have to motivate you past that point? Right. Let's say that you've got your style, your philosophy, you've got your elevator pitch down, you've got a cool job that you really like, and you're really excited about the organization. How often should you kind of revisit that your your own style, your philosophy? I think you should revisit it at least once a year. And not to do a full like revamp of it. I think just to kind of have that reflection piece, because I do think one important thing for anyone in any career is to just have that self-reflection of where you are. And a lot of times you do that through evaluation, like if you have like an annual evaluation at your job. But I think yeah, besides that, you should do that personally. You know, really see where you are as far as your career, where you want to be. And so just looking over that style and just being, have I been implementing that? Have I really been able to utilize this within my organization? And so I think it's just important just to revisit it once a year and, and kind of have that moment of self-reflection and, you know, creating your goals as far as what you want to do professionally. Yeah, absolutely. If you do like a New Year's thing or right. like you said, at performance review time or even the off schedule, you know, like I was laid off in March. That's a great time to right. take some time to reflect, right? And I yeah, because you have a lot of time on your hands, you know, yeah. like especially right? in perspective. Like, okay, well, I have nothing but time. So, yeah, absolutely. So, my last question for you is: if you had to choose one book or video or podcast or piece of media. For someone to consume who doesn't yet have a style or philosophy and wants to develop one, what would it be and why? Okay. Um, definitely Nyla Spooner's podcast. I'm new here. Um, that definitely kicked off the philosophy piece of it. Because, you know, I believe a philosophy is a little bit deeper. You know, just the general town development style is you know, general, this is kind of my yeah. general statement. And then the philosophy is a lot deeper because it's your personal belief about something. So definitely check out that podcast. I think, um, especially specifically at episode, episode eight, it was very good. And one thing I like about Nyla is she is succinct, you know, which is important. Yes. It's not long. It's a lot, it's a lot of good information, but it's not overwhelming. It's not a lot, you know, it's a sh maybe 10 to 15 minutes at best. So it's very quick information. So that and then as far as like creating, um, one book I really like is Instructional Story Design. And I happen to be very familiar with Rance Green. Um, but I really enjoyed that book because I am a dramatic person by heart. So I love telling stories. I love to, you know, make stories super dramatic. So I loved his approach and kind of how, you know, he broke down creating a story and really creating those characters and gave like a framework for that, you know, instead of, because a lot of times we just kind of throw a scenario 
out there, but it was really like a, a framework of like how to create a story, what's the purpose of it, you know, developing your characters, developing the conflict so people will actually be invested. So as far as like training, adding that into my style, I definitely um, utilize instructional story design by Ray. Perfect. Great. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me today. Thank you for having me. I had fun. Thanks again for joining me on the blog. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and review us on your favorite podcast platform. I hope you'll tune in again soon.